I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Greetings from Bratislava, Berlin and Vienna this time. I'm David. And I am Mark and you're listening to the Check Your Facts podcast, a small podcast by us to digital journalists about digital journalism with mostly guests from the field of digital journalism and everything around it. So welcome and hello, David, how have you been? It's been a long week, actually, we are recording this podcast on Friday. Yes. And I still need to like write a few emails because yeah, it's been a super busy week. How about you? Yeah, I, I had an early shift today, so I'm up since, I don't know, six in the morning, so almost 12 hours or 12 Whoa. hours. Yeah, but um, still up and awake and uh, I'm really looking forward to record this episode because our guest is very interesting and what she's done is very, very interesting. So yeah, let's welcome her. Yeah, uh, with that being said, I would like to be welcome Bettina Fiegel uh, to the podcast. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi. So you're in Vienna. You live in Vienna. You're Austrian. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> and now the big question we ask all the all the all our guests is like, how did you get to journalism? Was it your like childhood dream, or did you just happen to <laughs> run? Well, indeed, you're, you're touching the right uh, points here. So I, I always loved writing and kind of stories, even when I was a little child. And I guess it's not so atypical. Kids always love to imagine things and, and write, I think, or like at least read to um, have having things read to them. Um, but one thing that was a bit atypical, I think, is that I have always been kind of interested in social justice or animal rights things. Even with 10 years old, I, I was um, collecting signatures for against animal testing and kind of stuff like this. So I, I might have been the journalistic foundation for my job now. And then I graduated from high school um, and I had no idea what I want to do and then I started studying at a University of Applied Sciences um, and I studied in, uh, knowledge and information management. So usually people ask me what's what's that and uh, this means kind of all kinds of knowledge transfer within companies. So. Um, it has to do with databases, project management, and even some programming. So that was the first time I ever got uh, in touch with uh, data. And then I uh, started working because we had to do it. It was a four-year um, university program or University of Applied Science program. And we had to do internships. And I started working at a game uh, company, um, game developing company. And um, then it, it was in marketing and PR, I did some writing there, but I did not, um, did not appreciate it so much or did not see myself forever in that. And then I started studying uh, communication science at the University of Vienna. So I have two master degrees from both those places and I really... Uh, enjoyed studying at the University of Vienna, even though most editors would tell you that this is not um, what you should study to become a journalist because it's more theoretical and um, and it actually is. But I, I really loved um, getting into politics and being able to um, do a bit more because the University of Applied Science is very school-like and you couldn't um, be so flexible of what you're actually studying and getting into. And at the same time, when I uh, started at the um, University of Vienna, uh, I started working for a local newspaper in Lower Austria. And uh, then after graduation from University of Vienna, I went to a journalism college in Salzburg. It's a hands-on training to become an editor, actually. It's um, and then after that, I like it's a bit different than in Germany. I think in Germany you have to do uh, one year of volontariat um, or like um, at one working place to become a journalist. In Austria, 
the way to journalism is usually over internships. They're a bit shorter and you get luckily a little bit of money. And uh, so I did some interns at the public television, at press agency, Austrian press agency, at the Standard, a newspaper, mostly at Austrian desks. And I was in Hamburg at ZAP. ZAP is a media magazine. It's at the public television. It was really, really interesting there. And then I was a freelance journalist for about one and a half years at the public radio UNS and did more culture there. So that was a shift in my topic. And then I applied for the Wiener Zeitung, newspaper of Vienna. It's a daily national in Vienna. And it's actually the oldest newspaper of the world, founded 1703. Wow. <laughs> and yeah, quite a tradition. Um, and I was part of the digital team there. So if, ever since, I'm part of the digital team. And that's been seven years now. And some breaks I had. I had one break in 2016. I was in New York. And last fall, I was in Oxford at the Reuters Institute as a journalism fellow. So that's how I got where I am. <laughs> Quite impressive. Very <laughs> impressive, I would say. It's uh, it's funny because uh, when I was back in university, I had a big part um, knowledge management as well. And oh, I've really? actually never met anyone else besides my um, uh, student friends um, who had this as well. That's so. really interesting. And do you always uh, also get the question, what is it actually? Because yes. nobody... <laughs> yes, yes, very much. Um, especially because my uh, courses were like mixed up and it was uh, cu um, culture, knowledge management and logistics, which is a kind of strange mix. Uh -huh. So, every But everyone asks, uh, what is knowledge management actually? And... Then I explained it the way you did. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, great. I approve of that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> but working uh, in New York and Oxford sounds quite interesting. Um, wasn't there any chance to like make it a longer stay in either <laughs> of the places? Or, or wanted you to come back to Vienna? Well, I guess there would have been ways, but I always had a reason to come back. I have my job here. And uh, New York, for example, it's a lot of fun and it's a great place, but I don't know if it's forever because also most of my friends there, some of them are gone already. It's a really, it's an, I would say it's a city that gives you a lot of energy, but it also takes a lot of energy <laughs> and like just as rents are expensive and, and commuting is expensive and, and, and just uh, exhausting, but But also it's it's a lot of fun. So I, I think I have to go back. But I, for living, Vienna is actually quite nice. And um, Oxford is also great. But Oxford is also a bit of a funny bubble, I would say. Um, you have the university. The whole city is kind of university. And um, it, it's quite small. And it's also fun, I think, for a while. I could have stayed like for a year or two. But for living, no, I... I've, I'd rather stay here, I think. I mean, hey, Vienna is uh, considered and <clears throat> is still ranking on the top three places like uh, in every like uh, list where like we, which is the best place to live in the world. So <laughs> come on. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Vienna is not so bad. <laughs> It could be worse. Yes. <laughs> have, you, have you been to Oxford, Mark? No, I don't think so, actually. You should go. It's it's really nice place. <laughs> I've I haven't been to New York either, so um, yeah, it's still on my list. I'm I normally travel around Europe, but yeah, never been to the United States. But I want to, uh, especially now that we've met so many interesting guests, also from the United States. Um, yeah. <laughs> so so you studied in US, <laughs> yes. But you did a research in in Oxford. That was actually the how how we came across uh like how we met you uh we are your research so uh how how did you come to do your research on data journalism because your research is on data journalism in small newsrooms so was it your idea from the beginning or did you have someone in oxford suggest this to you no 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 so i i it was my idea 
it's um, the Austrian press agency uh, founded funded uh, this. It was a scholarship. So the Austrian press agency once a year um, calls out for this uh, scholarship and any journalist in Austria can apply with a self-chosen topic on something media industry related. And so I applied with data journalism and the question whether small newsrooms or how small newsrooms can do data journalism because I'm coming from a small newsroom and I found that it's kind of, it's not the priority, let's say, and that um, big companies like the New York Times or Washington Post do all those great projects and it's almost intimidating for, for smaller ones because they say, oh, they have all those resources and all this time and these big teams and we don't have that, so we can't, we can't do that. And I wanted to have a look at that and that's what I applied with and um, I was accepted in Oxford and yeah, that's why I went there. Okay, so now now the question is, so what did you find out? <laughs> what did you find out? Well, I found out, and it was kind of my, my thesis already, because, of course, I've, I've looked at projects before, that um, being small is not a limit to innovation and not a limit of doing data journalism. It's, it's more like, um, it's a decision, I think, a decision that a newsroom... Uh, takes so it's a lot about the leadership a leader needs to um, support this and also you need somebody who's able to get excited about data and kind of wants wants to do this basically because um, the tools are out there and you can either train yourself or pair up with a programmer and it doesn't need to be a big team but I've I've talked to um, thirteen people altogether, uh, and mostly they were leaders of data teams in Germany. Actually, so I, I concentrated on the German-speaking world, and uh, the it was re really interesting that most of the teams were kind of uh, comparable size, um, and that's it didn't really make a difference whether it's a big newsroom or a small one. So Die Zeit, Süddeutsche Zeitung, which are the big ones, or Spiegel, have very similar sizes of data teams as Berliner Morgenpost or Korrektiv, um, which are the smaller ones. So usually it would be like six people around that and a few programmers, developers, um, graphic designers, and some data journalists. And those are either more on the reporting side, more traditional ones, or really already a bit more data savvy. And um, yeah, but the, the most impressive um, example I came across was actually Berliner Morgenpost. Um, probably most, uh, most listeners who have been interested in uh, data journalism or visuals um, have come across their work and I I was quite amazed because they're so similar to my newspaper like compared to size they're about the same size they have almost the same um, size of the digital team we're in my newspaper with 10 people they're I think also eight or nine people and and um, maybe I'll tell you the, the story of Julius Trüger, who who was uh, the head or the... It was his brainchild, I would say, um, this whole data journalism idea. I think he started in 2011 um, when he got interested in, in doing more with data. And he was also part of the uh, digital team um, doing... The, the, digital desk duties um, and, and uh, he started studying computer science and he went out to New York, um, again New York, <laughs> to intern at uh, The Guardian and at uh, ProPublica and he, so he kind of went there to work with all his data journalism heroes, he told me. And and then he came back to his newsroom. And what was really impressive for me is that he did all of this in his free time, holiday time, on his own um, expenses. And then when he got back, um, his editor-in-chief realized, oh, that's, that's quite useful, his new skills. And then he got reimbursed and uh, got the, paid for that time. And 
and then he said uh, well it's it's really useful but I, I need a programmer because I can't do this by myself and then I got the programmer and this is when all of this started and they kind of started being this small um, team um, but growing already um, and and I think what was so interesting about it is how how uh, the shift happened because um, even now when I was in Oxford I was telling uh, someone at the Reuters Institute um, a colleague from the Süddeutsche Zeitung about Berliner Morgenpost and she said well there was always this really boring newspaper that was uh, on my parents kitchen table I, I never looked at it and <laughs> it kind of had this dusty image and, and that's what I kept on reading up and hearing about Berliner uh, Morgenpost but but on the other hand you have this really amazing team and and even within their um, newspaper, the editors, the more traditional uh, print-oriented uh, editors, started realizing that um, that is quite interesting. Was coming from the data team when they got their first awards. Um, so they got uh, a bunch, like really many, um, fifty data journalism awards by now. And uh, also, which is funny, the kids started, their kids, the editor's kids, started saying, oh, the Berliner Morgenpost is doing really cool things. Um, have you seen this? And that's when uh, the editors first came up to um, Berliner Morgenpost and, and said um, that the data journalism team, that they want to cooperate and they also want to do kind of those data stories. And, and by now... Um, Almost everybody of this 90 people newsroom has cooperated um, on a data story and has been in the, in the byline of that. And that's really kind of a fairy tale story, I think, because most newsrooms still have a big divide between print and digital. And um, it just shows how big or how important uh, culture is, actually, and not so much the technical part of it. David, uh, how how big is or do you have a, a data journalism unit at SME? <laughs> that, that's a funny story because I was part of the official data journalism unit, me and my colleague, and uh, we were supposed to, like you know, <laughs> when I started in Daily SME where I work now three years ago. That's why they hired me, uh, but uh, and I was doing that for maybe you know few months but then me and also the the colleague which i did this with uh we transferred to different positions so kind of <laughs> the, the if i am explaining this right and i'm 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 not not trying to break now but the the newsroom found out that we have like good skills that they could apply somewhere else <laughs> so so that's why we kind of, you know, dissolved the data journalism unit and we both went doing something else. And by this day, we don't have a, like a new data journalism unit. We both like said, like, we will be helping out the newsroom with, you know, uh, ways to, to, to not to have a data journalism unit, but for the whole newsroom to think in data journalism terms, you know, uh, but uh, that's not not really working. So, so we we would really appreciate to have someone who's just like doing this and is passionate about it. But uh, since we ha stopped doing this, uh, there there was like no one who like from the uh, not not even a student who would come and say like, guys, I would like to do data journalism with you. And I don't know about like anyone in Slovakia at the moment who's who's like into this at the moment which which is a shame uh so that's that's our sad story <laughs> sad um because it's it's funny bettina mentioned so many big german newspapers but and the big name Bild didn't came up and i mean i'm only here for four weeks now but i've seen that there are not so many uh, ways for data to come into articles but I think it's a bit different in tabloids uh, with boulevard and everything but um, do you have any findings if it's more like a serious a serious matter like um, using data and building stories or is it possible for like every kind of newsroom and every kind of journalism hmm. 
Well, I haven't really concentrated on the tabloid tabloids on that, but I assume that um, if you want to do to invest a lot in stories, you can do it with any story. You can, yeah, it doesn't have to be always such a serious topic. It Actually, every topic is, or not every, but there are many topics you can do it on. Let's say it that way. Um, and and you can see that there are a lot of um, ways data journalism has been done that's more like a gamification approach, like um, letting the users draw something or... Like um, maybe you've seen it, um, the New York Times does um, drawing graphs uh, where you, it lets you guess how, uh, for example, the employment uh, rates dropped or rose when U.S. President um, Obama was in charge or got in charge. So you can draw it and then it compares how the reality was. So it kind of, it's an educational thing almost. Our uh, Berliner Morgenpost lets you draw where you think that the former bo uh, border um, to East Germany was. And then they compare you to, oh, you've, you've already forgotten it or you've done better than uh, most of your other, of the other readers. So this is kind of an exciting thing. And I think it could be, beneficial also something like this would also suit um tabloids but i've not seen so much that's true the newsrooms you mentioned were quite big but like david told us like with smear where there were only two people and uh, suddenly everyone found out that they are good at other things as well so they decided well, okay we maybe need them somewhere else but do you have any any help or yeah any tips for smaller newsrooms how they still can approach data stuff without having like a big team like Morgenpost or Süddeutsche? Well I would start cooperating with outsiders um, and that's also how uh, Morgenpost started I think um, they had um, a visualization uh, company and they did stuff so you don't have to start programming everything yourself in the beginning And, um, I mean, data journalism is also nothing entirely new. Every newsroom does it somehow. At least you have some graphics, how you illustrate stuff in, I don't know, elections and polls and, and everybody does it. It's just now we have more possibilities to do it. You can do interactive stuff um, with data wrapper. It's really easy. You just copy paste the Excel Excel. Um, to the program and it makes lets you choose what kind of graphs you want to do and that's also already data journalism something that um, many also told me is that it doesn't have to be that shiny and that that's actually a big discussion within the data um, data um, community right now does it have to be so overwhelming beautiful of course it's nice to, to have but um, actually it's more about the content always And or should be more about the content and you can do something really basic um, by yourself and and there is really so much training out there um, then there's also a new startup called JunoCoder um, you can learn how to use Python online you have um, free online courses where David Simon um, ah, not David Simon, Simon Rogers, that was another one, David Simon. Simon Rogers, this big data guru who started at The Guardian and is now at Google News Lab, he teaches online for free, so it's it's not um, hard to, to learn it actually, or to get into it, and um, once you once you reached um, a point where you can't go on by yourself, you can always reach out to others. That's really, really um, impressive. Another thing I found out, because everybody I requested talked to me and was really happy and willing to talk to me. And when they um, explained how they work is that they also would call each other up. So um, somebody from Die Zeit has no problem um, asking Julius Ströger from Berliner Morgenpost about a data project where he's stuck and they would help each other. So even beyond uh, company borders it's it's a very well connected community and you have all those events like hacks and hacker events in london or also in other big cities and hackathons it's it's very approachable and i feel like 
only after those two and a half months of my research, I already know so many people and it's it's so well connected and yeah, it's really, um, it's, I think you just have to start and then you go from one to the other. Yeah. That's that, that's awesome. Uh, I mean, I I've read your uh, um, research. It's 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 reading really well because it's not written in like a purely academic, you know, <laughs> way. It's more like written like a long form article with with your thoughts and some some of the quotes. Uh, so I uh, strongly recommend reading it. There are there are also some excerpts like on the mediashift.org website, which we will which you can find in the show notes of this podcast. But something you mentioned uh, stuck out to me. So you mentioned this like reaching out to community and getting together, uh, which which reminds me you told us that you and a bunch of friends are. Uh, have a few months ago uh, started organizing this event in Vienna where you get together and talk about media and journalism. So uh, yes. what's what's that about? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really happy how this all um, turned out. It was, I, I never imagined it because we were all in Perugia. I think you've heard about this amazing journalism festival in Italy. You don't say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, we can't stop talking about it like in every, every episode. We just like, just always mention Yes, it. I think it has come up uh, several times on this podcast. And I was there for the first time last uh, April. And um, I got to know so many people and it was really great to, to network there and get to um, know others, even from Austria. So I, I met new colleagues from Austria and then after the festival, we all um, shared a ride actually to, to uh, Florence. Um, and then, um, then uh, yeah, one of the colleagues... Um, I, I suggested actually that we should get together more often and just talk about journalism. And I never imagined how big it would um, get or how serious because um, we've been doing it for almost half a year now. And um, so each month um, we, we get together and it, it was supposed to be very informal and it still is very informal. Um, and we usually, it's, it's almost like your podcast. So you invite somebody who you're interested in, whose work you're interested in, who has something to do with um, journalism or media. And um, what we really wanted was this kind of Perugia spirit because it was such an open atmosphere. The festival is for free. You, everybody can attend, like even general public. We, just, we don't want to stay just in our pub bubble. Everybody can come. And, and um, so we uh, also kept it very informal. There, the people are really in the center and they just talk about their work for 15 or 20 minutes and then um, the audience can ask. So we have, uh, yeah, we have quite an, an audience by now. So last time we had 120 people um, wow. and the topic was podcasts. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're doing something right. <laughs> and um, yeah, because we had uh, quite a, an, how you say, um, a spring, uh, like a fall of, of new podcasts in Austria. There's there's a saying that everything arrives um, 10 years later in Austria. And for t in this time, in this um, case, it was quite true. Last last year was um, a big, I don't know, a trend of podcasts coming to Austria and people starting podcasts. And this one was called uh um, was, was Solders. And um, the two um, reporters who did it came and, and they had already a big fan base. So that's how it's explained that we had so many people interested in it. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's really great. And, and afterwards, we just get together and, um, and also our organizing team. So it started with um, Andy Sator and Christoph Schlemmer from the standard and upper uh, not by now we also had have uh, Nora Laufer and Anna Goldenberg so so kind of our team expanded and we don't want to be like always oh, it's just us the organizers everybody is open and, and invited to bring in their ideas and to to um yeah and how how you come together with uh, hex and hackers in Vienna do you like uh, uh, want to try to work together or how how or, I don't um, know. 
I don't think that Hacks and Hackers is very big in Vienna yet, uh, but I'm not 100% sure. I've only been to the one in London so far, because I, I just returned in December to Vienna. Um, but yeah, that would be an, an idea to cooperate also with Aufmacher. Um, so my event or our event is called Aufmacher, which means kind of like that the article or um, whatever opens the page in the newspaper. I don't know if I described that right. <laughs> Do you understand what I mean? Aufmacher. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's like the headline or something of something. And uh, and this this meetup uh, you you organize is it is it aimed at journalists or um, no. I, I know I know you welcome public but like what's what's the main you know uh, way you try to invite people or how does it spread around everybody is invited um, but yes we have a lot of journalism students coming um, but also people who are journalists or people from PR who are interested or last time it was also just fans from this podcast. And at the very first um, Aufmacher event we had, we were very happy because we had one um, quite famous um, um, editor or a reporter, Hans, Hans Rauscher from The Standard uh, in Austria. He's, he's quite well known. I think he's in his 70s and And he has no nothing to do with social media or whatsoever. But and he doesn't have a Twitter account. But he has three people that he would approach uh, on in his web browser and go on their Twitter page just to see what they're up to. And somebody tweeted our event, and that's how we ended up there and was sitting next to all those students. And we loved this idea of like ages um, intermingling and. Yeah, so that was <laughs> why we were quite happy about having him there, and and um, yeah, it feels it feels quite refreshing because also it's similar to Perugia because um, oftentimes the newspaper conferences are more like for the um, managing board or something. They are very expensive. The entries are really expensive and. And there's not so much actually for just normal reporters and journalists and people doing it. <laughs> and, and that's why we really liked Perugia and, and wanted to have something like that in Vienna on a monthly basis as well. And we've done it, I think, five times so far. So, yeah. Wow. So you're keeping it re regular, like month yes. on a monthly yes. basis. Every month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're an organizer of the Perugia Journalism Festival, just come to us and uh, give us money for presenting your journalism <laughs> festival, please. <laughs> yeah, that's true, they should. <laughs> also, one of the things you <laughs> mentioned before, and it's actually in the article uh, you, you've written for, for MediaShift, is the, the, the whole story of the uh, Merlin, uh, Berliner Morgenpost, uh, where you write that... Um, uh, They had the problem in the beginning that, uh, you know, the paper was very print-oriented and they were yeah, like nerds, like digital nerds, and there there was the split. And, uh, um, I mean, when I came to the paper, it was the same here. I mean, the, the most of the newsroom considered... <laughs> us people like uh, you know newcomers who weren't I, i wasn't never like writing for the newspaper i was only doing things for the for the website uh like they they still felt it's like something like less it's more it's like more valuable work when you do it for the print so i i would like to know your like your point of view like how is it in austria uh this like print digital Uh, split if 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 you got over it or, or whether like where, where are you in this transition <laughs> uh, i i wish we uh, got over it but not not yet <laughs> so so austria is um in general a quite a traditional and conservative country and it's reflected in the um newspaper industry or, or media industry as well we um actually in the reuters um, digital news report it's um it also says that uh, we have the highest print uh, news consumption rates in europe in austria so um, we have a lot of um, tabloids like the kronenzeitung and, and others and uh, the 
the quality papers are really the minority also by their readerships. And um, we have, I would say, one um, newspaper, um, The Standard, who was always quite um, digital um, oriented or like the first ones um, being really on there. And, and it um, they had a... Um, uh, they kind of put together their digital and print teams, but uh, in most Austrian um, media companies, it's still separated. So you would have a, almost a separate co um, company sometimes. That's how it used to be at the standard. Um, and I don't know what this is. Um, so so it's just like you said, it almost seems like it's worth more just because it's printed and... Um, yeah, and, and I've talked to some to one colleague the other day, just a few days ago, and she said that um, this print newspaper also takes up um, so much energy um, that it's hard to be really fast and innovative as long as you still have the prints. And, and it really made me think because, um, of course, it would be a shame to have like the oldest... Um, newspaper not anymore or, or some some loose newspapers or like or not have them on a daily basis anymore but even um that's um, i i kind of see the downside also that um you can just be faster if you um, concentrate on one thing and have more um, capacity to do and concentrate more on digital. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, actually, I know. Like Mark, how, how is it in actually in build? Do do you see a split or like uh, is it all sorted out already? It's a big corporation, actually. So the big build boss just uh, recently came to us. Where we have like every day ten forty a big conference where. Um, there's like a one criticizing build and saying what was good and what was bad. And he just recently announced that he will even bring um, print and digital more and closer together. But it's still like very close together. Um, we have most of the conferences together. Of course, not the ones where they say uh, which uh, which story should be on which side but even there i mean we as the social media team are there because like you know we are familiar with short titles and so on um yeah but he wants to wants to make it even closer and that will probably mean like um bringing people from the print part to the digital part and vice mm -hmm. versa Mm. But yeah, yeah. But um, I, I just often find that the hierarchy is, is still, um, as you mentioned, really print oriented. They would be the first ones to discuss what they're doing, and then digital is always kind of the well, add-on or something. I don't. But no, I, I don't. I don't feel it. No. This way here, um, especially when you're producing a daily paper, you just have different processes. So. I don't know the the online guys or oh, online is basically um, all the time so when we go home in the evening someone in LA takes over and uh, when they get to bed we start again and so on so uh, online is always mm -hmm. and then some time in the day um, the print colleagues come to the newsroom and we discuss everything together and it doesn't actually feel like they're somehow deciding or whatsoever but that's just my my view on the company f uh, within like four weeks or so but yeah, it looks nice so far yeah it's i think it's really depending on each company and um yeah everybody's kind of on a different step on the way to really being a digital um digital first place more or less mm. and uh, when we get back to austria and austrian journalism uh, so you mentioned uh, there there is a rise in podcasts uh, last year. Uh, are there any other trends in like Austria happening? I know we I, I would like in Slovakia the the recent years have been 
uh, like everyone are is setting up paywalls, memberships, all these like different paid and the membership uh, mo- models. Is is there something not not like this, but like an, anything worth mentioning happening in Austria, which would be like interesting? Mm-hmm. Well, a few have tried um, to do paywalls, and we had one interesting project called um, NZZAT, so the Neue Zürcher Zeitung from Switzerland had an Austrian um, paid uh, online site, but it only was up there for a year. And then um, they didn't have enough subscribers. And um, that was actually our first, <laughs> I have to come back to it, our first guest at the Aufmacher, the editor-in-chief, the former one, telling us why he thinks it didn't work. And and that was, the, that was really interesting. And we have, so we sometimes see a few things like that but it seems like um it's it's really hard because it's a small market and it doesn't have a lot of space or we don't have so much um audience for small startup like things um so it, it's kind of hard to do that or and also there are not so many people trying it i think that comes from also being a, a more traditional um, security-focused culture we have. So um, it's, it's not like the UK or the US where people just try something and then um, it doesn't work and then you try it again and then it doesn't work and it's, it's like that. So it's it's um, not as... Um, how would I wouldn't say it, it, it's, it sounds very harsh, but it's not the most innovative um, environment, I would say. Um, but there are people trying uh, to do stuff. And, and for example, newsletters, I see a bit coming now. Um, and, and I also see that um, most of the people I know who are in newsrooms, they really try to do stuff there. So um, podcasts or um, also newsletters, those are things or are like more video and um stuff like that and and also um yeah i have to come back to that as well data journalism is also i think becoming more uh has the has the video bubble still not you know <laughs> uh blown up in in austria because in slovakia it already has like two times in the recent decade <laughs> I, um, i must confess no i don't i don't think so I don't think so. And um, social media is actually becoming more. So trying um, more with um, Instagram um, uh, and and WhatsApp is also quite big that people are sharing news on WhatsApp. Stuff. And uh, so so and how is how is it uh, how how is Twitter and journalists in Austria? I think it's it's similar to most countries like Germany or, or also the UK. Maybe not as strong as in the UK, but um, it's it's a media PR bubble. But <laughs> yes. Everybody who's in media is is on there. I would say. So it's not a engagement driver for the readers, right? So it's more like communicating or researching and like connecting, networking with people. No. Twitter not and and Facebook is actually the, the driver but we're having also or we're seeing a bit of problems there because they as you probably know changed um that companies are not displayed as any as much anymore news companies yeah, tell, and, tell um, me about it <laughs> <laughs> so this is a real struggle so we're trying out all different kinds of things how we should post um should we just copy the link or just copy our own picture and copy the link in in the comment section and it's it's a bit of a mess now um because we're we're really seeing that we're losing um audiences there but um there are actually um more opportunities to like target and stuff we're experimenting a lot with it right now and i think that's that's the exciting thing about all this that you really there's something new every day almost so that's that's great, Mark. Do you, do you have a last question? Because we're just really quickly running out of time. You have. <laughs> yes, I have one question, and I also have an additional uh, thing to say. Uh, because I'm a big fan of Twitter, and every time 
I can, I try to defend Twitter for what it is. And I think, Bettina, you said it right, that it's like a big network of professionals and journalists. Um, but we have always like one example, and I don't know if it's like super true, but um, there are so many big influencers on Twitter, like journalistic-wise, um, for example, like Sasha Lobo. And when he sees something on Twitter, maybe, and posts it to Facebook and reaches there, like, thousands of people, then it's still, like, a referral from Twitter, but you can't, like, measure it. So you don't know where it where it comes from. But I think it's, like, a super influential network still, although the numbers of clicks is just super small and compared to, I don't know, Google Plus or so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't want to miss it. I mean, I feel sometimes like I don't want to um, spam all my Facebook friends with all this time uh, journalism stuff all the time. So I think it's good to have a place where it's more for that. And yeah. yeah. Plus, I don't know how, how you feel. Uh, I'm still using Facebook more privately than yeah. like professionally. Yeah. Same same with me. But I, I kind of miss the the old algorithm on twitter so i all i see now is data journalism on my twitter feed so just <laughs> just use tweetdeck and everything is fine still oh, oh. okay if it's uh, like still okay for uh some time but uh, maybe linkedin will be a bigger player in like distributing news and stuff to professionals more than yeah more than i just realized it a few days ago it looks like facebook now it's a bit like it yes have you have you any experiences or any knowledge about like Snapchat and Instagram stories and stuff? <laughs> well, I've tried Snapchat, but every time I use it, I feel really old. And <laughs> <laughs> it's so non-intuitive, I think. But and it's it's really for me, it's more about fun. I've never really gotten into reading news on Snapchat um, and, and the Instagram stories. Yeah, I, I think sometimes I look at it, but it's often you get also a lot of spam there. I don't know if they that will be um, the future. I'm I have my doubts. I must say. I mean, Snapchat is growing, and they have like in Germany around I don't know five million daily users, so which is quite a nice number. And I guess it's only young people. And as you probably know, a build is on Snapchat Discover, and it's going like very good. Um, I can't tell you official numbers because I don't know the official numbers, but I know that it's like going really good and that people are somehow interested in news when they are like prepared in a way that is like good for Snapchat. You, so you can't you can't write long long articles and put them somewhere in Snapchat. Nobody would would click them, but mm. but it, it it works so. I don't know what the plans of Snapchat are for Austria and Switzerland, but normally they like keep keeping the German-speaking countries together. But I don't know. Well, I guess it has to to match or, or suit the, the media outlet also. So I can imagine it with Bild, but yeah, I don't know if my newspaper, the, the oldest newspaper in... I mean, it would be a surprise to readers, I guess. <laughs> I mean, Spiegel is doing it and... Mm -hmm. Yeah, but uh, we don't want to go into too deep into Snapchat. Maybe we have a very enthusiastic Snapchat fan in one of the next episodes. <laughs> Maybe we find one. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what you say, David. Um, <laughs> anything can happen. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but but as Bettina said, I, I I too feel too old for <laughs> Snapchat. Maybe we are too old for Snapchat. Yeah, maybe. Maybe another podcast, younger people talking about journalism. There will be more more into it. Uh, but if you are into Snapchat, actually, we had uh, a whole podcast episode with uh, with our French colleagues uh, at uh, Le Mans, where they are doing Snapchat uh, Discover, and they are doing it well. So go go back and listen to that because it's quite interesting how they are, they built a whole team of like six or seven people. Who are doing just Snapchat for Lamont? Yeah, and it's, they it's very, very, very interesting. Uh, but I, I was wondering, is anyone under the age of like eighteen listening to podcasts, <laughs> or is it just a thing in our age? <laughs> <laughs> well, at our podcast event, uh, I think would say the average age was twenty five. So I think that's not too bad. 
Okay, so then I I say we all give one tip, like one podcast tip for our listeners as the closing argument. And Bettina, you're the guest. You can start. What podcast would you recommend besides this one, obviously? <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, this one. And then, um, yeah, was soll das? I can really recommend. So it was a project for half a year. And they always have very interesting guests from the Austrian scene. But they have one in English as well. And it's with Jeff Chavez that you've, I think, also known about. Um, the journalism professor from the US. David, what what are you going for? Uh, I'm 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 going to stuck with my like one of the f favorite ones, which is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. So it's a journalism media podcast, but uh, uh, he interviews like you know the big players. So if you're interested like in really uh, the 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 big players, uh, he he had people from you know New York Times, CNN. And and guys like this, so I or Netflix, I, so I listen to it just like be a bit envious, but also to you know uh, know about the trends. So if you're into it, I totally recommend. And you, Mark? I I haven't I haven't listened to the last episode of Record Media. Have you the Movie Pass episode? Uh not yet. No, but the paywall episode, the episode before, was like really interesting with the Wired uh, editor in chief. I listened to it, I think, yes. yesterday or two days ago, and it was really interesting. So if you're into paywalls, go and listen to the Recode Media podcast with uh, Peter Kafka. And ooh, it's always hard to recommend only one podcast, but uh, again, I'm going with IRL, <laughs> an original podcast by Mozilla with uh, Veronica Belmont. Online life is real life. It's really interesting on everything. Um, but I'm just mentioning this one because Hackable is still on vacation. So uh, IRL is a very, very nice podcast. Please listen to it when you listen to every episode of our podcast. Yes. When you stop listening to Check Your Facts and you listen to all the episodes, go and do that. Um, so if you are new to this podcast and you stuck with us until here, we would be totally happy to have you as a subscriber. Uh, you can subscribe in your favorite podcasting app. You can follow us on all the uh, all your favorite social networks, though we're most active on Twitter. And uh, yeah, tweet at us your questions. Write us at hello at checkyourfacts.eu. Uh, also, you can check out our website, which is checkyourfacts.eu, because we really like European Union. That's why it's <laughs> .eu. And uh, thank you to Bettina who was so kind and talked to us about all of all of everything. <laughs> all of everything. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you very much, Bettina. Uh, thank you. Have a nice evening, David. You have a nice evening. And before we end our recordings, what is there not to forget, David? Uh, Don't forget to always check your facts, guys. Okay, bye-bye, guys. Bye, Bettina. Bye. Bye.